If you've got your Bibles, or take out your phones, uh, look over your neighbor's shoulder. We're going to bring it up on the screen. The text this morning is 1 Kings chapter 21, and we're going to continue in this series of Elijah. Uh, if you're visiting with us, it's great to have you here this morning. Uh, we've been talking about this prophet in the Old Testament and this roller coaster of emotions that he went through, and he shows up again today in a powerful way. And before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we honor you and we praise you. And Lord, there's just so much from your word that we can learn. So Lord, I just pray this morning uh, that you'll just be with us and bless us through your word and help us to move forward and do the things that you've called us to do. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. I want to play a little soundbite and I want to see if you know uh, what uh, movie this is and what uh, TV and Christmas movie this is. So let's play that. You're a mean one, All right. Mr. Grinch. How many have seen that at least 17 times? All right. Now, you know, when Dr. Seuss wrote that little book, do you, you think in his wildest imagination that he thought, first of all, that it would become a really iconic at Christmas time, that little half hour special, and then it would be converted into a full-blown blockbuster movie that has made already anywhere between 260 and 300 million dollars. Who would ever dream that from this crazy fictional character, the Grinch? But I, I've heard an interesting story about uh, Jim Carrey, who played the Grinch in, in the movie, uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and it's pretty fascinating. Uh, Jim Carrey, if you know anything about Jim Carrey, he puts a capital A in ADD, okay? If you've ever seen him interviewed... So he said the very first day they put the makeup on. Now imagine this. <clears throat> it took eight and a half hours. Imagine Jim Carrey sitting still for eight and a half hours. <clears throat> he went out, did his thing, came back, kicked a hole in the wall, and told Ron Howard, I quit. You couldn't pay me enough money. I will lose my mind. He said, well, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with a solution. Now, the solution is amazing. They brought in an expert. Now, here's what he was an expert in. He trains CIA operatives on how to endure torture. <laughs> and so he walked with Jim Carrey, and he showed him how to endure torture. And uh, Jim Carrey said, at the end of the day, you change your routine, you go through all this. And he said, but uh, I've got to be honest with that feeling of feeling buried alive in that green costume what saved me were the Bee Gees. He listened to the Bee Gees every day, changed his routine. Now, we know something about the Grinch because he is a fictional green monster. He's a fictional green-eyed monster that, honestly, we all can relate to. And I want to read a quote about a phrase that all of us have heard. It comes from Shakespeare. Beware, my Lord, of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on. Now, those of you that have been coming to the west side, I'm sure as you drove here this morning, you said, I know John is going to quote Shakespeare this morning, right? <laughs> but you know, Shakespeare got it right. There is this green-eyed monster. And what's that monster called? Envy. When you hear the phrase, so-and-so is green with envy, that came from Othello. That came from Shakespeare. And that's what we're going to get into this morning, the power of that green-eyed monster. We're going to look at an Old Testament story. We're going to look at a New Testament story. And you're going to see just how real envy is. It's interesting that in 590 AD, Pope Gregory was 
assigned to um, basically get a hold of scholars, and they actually call these the monks of the desert. And here was the assignment, is to find the fatal transgressions which um, uh, kill people's spiritual progress. That's a pretty intense project. So in other words, he said, with these monks, will you narrow it down to sins that totally derail humans from their relationship with God? And you know how many they came up with? I bet you can figure out. Seven. And in time, what'd they call that? The seven deadly sins. In case you don't know what those are, lust, glut. Matter of fact, when I read the sin, will you just raise your hand? Lust, no. <laughs> lust, or just leave your hands up. Lust, gluttony, sloth, greed, envy. Let those things begin to sink in. Pride. All of those things derail our relationship with God. But we know what it's like and the power of that emotion of somebody has something that we want. And when we're in the flesh, that can become very ugly. Matter of fact, I heard about a guy who, who was always wanting more and he was out for a long walk and he found the proverbial bottle that had a genie in it. I don't know if you've heard this really intense time. And uh, he rubbed it. He thought, let's just see what happens. Genie comes out, and he's pretty excited. He goes, whoa, whoa, I know how this game's played. I get three wishes. And Genie said, okay, take your time. He goes, oh, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Number one, I want to be twice as smart as any man. Number two, I want to do things I've never been able to do. And number three, I want to be able to do those things twice as fast as I ever have. Poof! And he became a woman. <laughs> yeah, I don't even like the joke. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Bruce Jenner wrote the joke. No, 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 I didn't. It was just, it was like a T-ball. It was just sitting there. Okay. I want you to turn over to 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21. Starting in verse 1. Sometime later... There was an innocent, uh, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. And the vineyard was Jezreel close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden since it's close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a what? A better vineyard if you prefer. I'll pay you whatever it's worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth had said that he would not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid in his bed, sulking. He refused to eat. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, why are you so sullen? Why don't you eat? And he answered her, because I said to Naboth, sell me your vineyard. Or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said that he will not give me the vineyard. And Jezebel said, is this how to act as a king over Israel? Get up, eat, cheer up. I will get you the vineyard from Naboth. Now, let's get into this story and see how it applies to us today. At the very heart of it, you got to imagine, this is Ahab, a king, and he lives in a palace. This is just what my perspective is of this story. If you 
have a beautiful palace, one of the advantages of the palace is not only do you own more than everybody else, uh, land and everything else, but usually you have this amazing home and you have a view. You can go out on your balcony and you can see all the land and all the possessions. So in my mind, I, I just see this guy looking out over all of his land and he, he looks over and he sees this vineyard connected to his land and he can't stop thinking about it. He can't think about all that he has. He wants the one thing he doesn't own. That's envy. It went straight from, oh, that's a nice piece of property to I want that land. That's the heart of envy. That's what we all need to be aware of, that it's within all of us to reach a point that we feel entitled or that we want something or we want something that somebody else has. Here's what jealousy is. Jealousy is the emotion that when you fear that you may be replaced in affection of somebody you love or desire. Envy, on the other hand, is the emotion that when you want a possession someone else has, you will do whatever it takes to get that possession. When I worked with young people for years, uh, when we would talk about jealousy and envy, I would say, now, jealousy is, is interesting because it even says in Scripture that God is a what? Jealous God. So I said, jealousy can be you see something in somebody and you're like, I really wish I had that characteristic. Or I really wish I had that car. I really and that's not necessarily a bad thing unless you begin to really feed on it. Now, once you start feeding on it, it can easily become a bridge to envy. You know what envy is? I love what you have, and I want it, but I don't want you to have it. It's all about me. Now, sometimes we read stories like this, and we may easily say, boy, I'm glad other people have that problem, because I don't have that problem. But you know what we all do? We all have that problem at times. 1 Corinthians 13.4 says this, love is patient, love is kind. It does not what? Envy. It does not boast. Listen to Proverbs 14.30. Do not gloat when your enemy falls. And when they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. And in Proverbs 14.30, wow, this one's heavy. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Here's a good way to think about envy. There was a, a dad, and he had twin boys. They were four years old. These little guys were just amazing. <clears throat> and he used to put them in a red wagon, and he'd walk around the neighborhood, and people loved to see this dad with this red wagon. This one day, they are screaming, and they are punching each other, and he's just about ready to break it up, and one of the neighbors is out getting his mail, and he said, I've never seen those little guys act up like that. Man, what is going on? And the dad said, this is just too easy to explain. He has a piece of candy. He wants it. You know what? That's what happens with countries. That's what happens in companies. When I hear something sad, that's what happens in churches, if you're not careful. Somebody's got something, and you want it. And what happens many times is, again, this is when Satan, I honestly believe, can get a hold of us, is we begin plotting. Isn't it interesting that in this story, Elijah starts whining? Now, why would you whine to your wife when your wife is Jezebel? <clears throat> you see what I'm saying? That is just not a healthy thing to do because she takes action. And every time she takes action, it is always against God. 
We need to understand that that potential is within all of us. That green-eyed monster of jealousy and envy is right around the corner in all of our lives, and we need to be careful. I want you to go back to verses 2 and 3 because this is really powerful. If you notice when Ahab went to Naboth, did you notice his reply? Why was it he said, I'm not going to sell you the land? Now, here's the one thing it wasn't. had nothing to do with money. Because you remember, he already said, I will give you more than this land is worth. So that has nothing to do with it. And yet he stood up, Naboth, and his whole attitude was, there is no compromising. And I am not giving up the land. Why? Number one, this vineyard was an inheritance from my father. In other words, this is passed down in my family. This is more than a piece of property that I can sell. And you're not taking this land. This is my family's land. No compromise. I am not compromising. Second of all, no money can buy this land. How many times do we get in trouble in life because if we're not careful, we put prices on things. But here's the most important thing. No compromise because nothing can replace your character. I mean, Naboth is saying, listen, if I sell you the land, do you realize from the generations to come, I'm the guy that sold the family's property and my character and my family name is priceless, which means we need, you're not getting the land. That's how we need to be. We need to be so set and grounded in Christ that we realize I'm not going to compromise. And when we become jealous, and at times if we become envious, we are giving in and we are losing our character. Now, why is this so hard? Why is it so hard to be content with what we have? Because that's really the issue. The only reason we would ever get jealous or we become envious of somebody some possession they have or some characteristic, at the end of the day is what? We're not content with our own life. Would you all agree with that? You don't have to. But anyway, I really believe that. You're just looking around, we're not content. Now, here's a couple reasons why I believe contentment is hard. First of all, I believe we have way too many choices in life. So one of the reasons it's hard to be content is we just think we have to have fill in the blank. Let me give you a couple examples of what I mean by that. There are 27 varieties of Crest toothpaste. Do we really need 27 varieties? I've tried 26 and uh, they're overrated, okay? So we don't need 27. Now here's the one I guarantee all of you that are my age and just a little bit older would, would say that's absolutely right. In 1978, in the average supermarket, there was 8,900 products. Okay, now think about that. 1978, 8,900 products. In 2008, the average... 47,000. So, you know, sometimes we think we're content, and then that green-eyed monster shows up and said, you know, what you really need is fill in the blank. When I was a kid, I was a little ornery, and my mom would take me shopping, which was like, give me a root canal. I mean, I hated it, but I always had this game, and the game was my eyes would get real big, and I would sneak away a couple aisles, and maybe I would grab you know, Hershey's, I would grab something and I'd try to slide it underneath all the groceries. And I can't tell you how many times my mom would honestly would be at the line and go, not happening. You know, she'd look at me and I'm like, seriously, just, you know, and then I'd go, you know, you know, Pete Matthews, his mom gets all of that. Well, I'm not Pete Matthews' mom. 
I hated that line because it, it was an ongoing dialogue. Some of you can relate. Because here's the bottom line. Because of all these choices, we, we believe, man, I am missing something. And here's another thing is honestly, it's just perspective of our lives. See, if we're not careful, we wake up and we look at people and we think, I wish I had so-and-so's life because you know what? They've got it all together and they don't have the stress that I have. You ever had that opinion? And then you start talking to folks and you realize, wait a minute, everybody's stressed. Everybody has things in their life that is just hard. It's a matter of perspective. The other day, it was a few weeks ago, I was at a fast food restaurant getting something I was terrible for. I'm sure it was fries. But anyway, as I stood there, <clears throat> this little punk <laughs> at the counter goes, uh, so would you like a senior discount? I, so I'm like, well, how old do you have to be for the senior discount? He's like, 55. I'm like, well, yeah, I'll take that. But anyway, <laughs> and I, I, I'm sure some of you have done this. So I, I get in the car and I look in the mirror. I'm like, why does he think I'm a senior? Oh, maybe it's because I got a ton of gray hair. You know, maybe when I smile, I, I don't have crow's feet. It's like a crow's line dance. You know, maybe, maybe that's what's going on here. So now I'm feeling old. I'm like, and then I notice as I look around, I'm like, uh, that guy's young. I hate him. That guy's jogging. I hate him, you know, and you just start feeling bad about yourself. Well, within a week or two, this is how God, God has a sense of you. So a week or two after that, uh, my youngest daughter, Danielle, um, is dating this guy named Bo, and they're from Texas. Anyway, they were coming up through the Midwest, and they set it up so that they could come down. We had a meal with them, so we're sitting at the dinner table. He's a minister from Texas, nicest guy, bald, Okay, and he's my age. Okay, so in the middle of the meal, he said he just puts his fork and he goes, "I got to be honest, dude. I am jealous of your hair. You have a great head of hair." And I'm like, "Not really, you know. <laughs> it is gray. I mean, it's got some gray in it." He goes, "Oh, gray makes it classy." Well, yeah, it does make it classy. You know. <laughs> Isn't that weird? How our entire perspective can change. Our contentment level can change on a dime. Now, why is that? Because every day, this is something that we battle. We battle the looking around, wanting to be somebody else, or wanting something that somebody else has. And at the end of the day, we don't need that. Our, our number one priority is that, are we right with Jesus Christ? That's it. That's where we draw our contentment. I'd love you to turn over to a New Testament story as we continue, and that's Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Now, before we get that, I want to wrap up what happened with Ahab. Because here's, here's the key. If, you, if, if we are not proactive with this whole discontentment with jealousy and envy, it is still a dead, deadly sin. It's still today, if left unchecked, will destroy your life. Don't just read that and say, well, that, that was a long time ago. No, that that is very real for today. This is where Elijah shows up. God tells Elijah, you know, King Ahab is out of control. His wife Jezebel is out of control. They put a plot together, this is unreal, to actually have Naboth killed. Jezebel sent letters to elders and the nobles, and she had them drum up two false witnesses. They put Naboth on trial. And he was stoned, murdered for a piece of land. Does that sound familiar? False witnesses, 
murdered an innocent man? You know how that all started? Because there was a king that looked out one day and said, I'd really like that little piece of land. Once you start that thought process, if you want something that somebody else has, if that is not under check, uh, we can do things we never imagined that we could do. We are potentially the kind of people that can do things that are terrible. So Elijah showed up at Ahab's door. I don't think he wanted to see Elijah. And Elijah said, I've heard from God, and I know what you did to Naboth. And here's the bottom line. The blood that was shed when he was stoned in that vineyard where you killed him, and the dogs lapped up the blood of Naboth, it's going to lap up your blood, and it's going to lap up the blood of your wife. In other words, you're going to die a brutal death. Good luck with that vineyard. Every time you walk through that vineyard, just remember this, that's where you're going to die. You know why? Because he did not have jealousy and envy in check. It's serious, serious business. So here's the question. If you're taking notes, both of you, um, here's a couple of practical ways that I think can help us with jealousy and envy. Number one, I know this sounds very simplistic, is really develop an attitude of gratitude. Now, I know that really sounds cheesy. An attitude of gratitude, I know that's like a bumper sticker, but I want you to think about how important gratitude really is in our life. Uh, the other evening, uh, Marie and I had dinner with some, some good friends. We had a Bible study years ago at the, it was called the Cloverleaf Bible Study, and it was just one of the neatest things that, that I've ever been a part of. And we just went around the table and we just shared, what are some of your summer goals and what are some of your summer plans? Here were a couple of goals that came up that I absolutely loved. One was to simplify my life. If you really want to start striving to be content, simplify your life. Now, I don't know about your garage. I don't know about your closets, but if they're like ours, we can simplify. The other one was to reconnect with friends. Isn't that a neat thing? Isn't that a neat summer goal? I just want to reconnect with old friends. See, those are the type of things that pull us out of wanting what everybody else has and serving others. And then the second thing is simply this. Celebrate other people's victories. Celebrate other people's victories. If you want to know if your spirit is off a little bit in this whole idea of jealousy and envy, here's how you know. Here's when the warning light in, in my life goes off. It's when a good friend has a huge victory of some kind he got a huge raise. Uh, he got a promotion of some kind. Uh, he got the dream house, the dream whatever. And instead of thinking, I want to congratulate him, I'm thinking, why did he get that? Really? That's when you know uh, you need to check your attitude. The best thing is when a friend has something great happen to him, as soon as you can, contact him and let him know you're proud of him. Let him know that, man, that's great you got that. Because how important is that in your life? When a good friend calls and says, hey, listen, I just want to celebrate. I know you've worked hard for this. That means the world. So that's a great way to work through these emotions. Now turn with me to Mark 9. This story is almost funny if it wasn't so heartbroken. In Mark chapter 9, right at the very title, did you see above that, starting in verse 30, what it says? This gives you the weight of this text. Jesus predicts his death, what? A second time, okay? So let that sink in. These guys, it's obvious, 
Jesus is sharing with them his mission, and they are not getting it. They're not getting it at all. And then you pick up in this journey that they have with Jesus in verse 30. It says, and they left that place, and they passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want them to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples, and he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him. And as they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, so what were you arguing back there on the road? And they kept very quiet, because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. And sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and he said, anyone who wants to be first must first be last and a servant to all. And he took a little child whom he placed among them. And taking the child into his arms, he said to them, whoever, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but he who has sent me. Now, I want you to think about what's going on there. Jesus shares the gospel message in one verse. What did he say? I will be killed. And in three days, I will, what? Rise again. That's it. And they didn't get it. They, they didn't get it. They're like, Whoop, okay, wait. There's a kingdom. And we all know you're God's son. We kind of wrestle through that when we get that. But somebody's going to kill you. And then something about you're going you're gonna to rise again. Now, why didn't they get it? Because they were too busy arguing about what? Who's the greatest? I always think Peter started this thing, but can't you hear him? You remember that as kids when you're fighting and the volume is like a 10 and you wonder why your parents know what the fight is about? I mean, it's, like, it's not like Jesus doesn't know what's going on, but almost like a parent, he says, so I heard a lot of commotion back there. What are you fighting about? Can you imagine how embarrassing that was? Uh, we're just trying to figure out who's the best. Jesus, seriously, who's the best? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that Jesus Christ has just told them, hey, I'm going to die for you, and your number one priority right now is who's going to be the best? And that's where envy comes in. That's where that green-eyed monster of envy just shows up again. Because in our life, if we're always striving to get the position, if we're striving to get the title, striving to be the best, where's that going to end up? It ends up just like this. Because Jesus said, you want to know who the best is? Do you want to know who the greatest is? What did he say? It's the servant. It's the person who's willing to do whatever it takes to reach people wherever they are. That's who's the best. And here's the best thing about that is they probably will get no position and there's no title that goes with that. And then it's interesting that Jesus said, since you don't get it, let me bring up a child because maybe you'll get it then. I'm looking for somebody who has a spirit as innocent as a child. I truly am looking for a servant. I remember a while back that I was, I was reading a poem and uh, it, um, it was an amazing poem by Charles Swindoll, and in that poem, the woman that wrote it was a nurse. And one of the things that she shared, it was just so heart-gripping, is she said, one of the things that is difficult 
is am I willing to serve at all times? I mean, am I really willing to serve at all times? And here's how she broke it down. She said, am I willing to go in a room with an old woman who's losing her life, who is wrinkled, who is hurting? And am I willing to take off her shoes? Am I willing to wash her feet? And am I willing to do that day after day, month after month, when no one is looking? Because she said that's what a servant does. A servant serves when no one is looking. That's what Jesus calls all of us to do. So do you you really want to serve me? You want to overcome jealousies and envy and all these things in life? They can take you down. Here's how you do it. Every morning, wake up and say, Lord, today I want to serve somebody. And here's the thing. I want to serve, and I don't care if anybody sees me serving. That's when we're really growing in Christ.